All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of my weird little podcast. Today we have the wonderful Roxana. Hello. And me, Tia, as always, I'm always here. I'm always here. Um, And today we're going to be talking about ghosts, specifically ghosts in Japan. And uh, Japanese like horror movies are probably the most scary uh, ever. Um, They're just bizarre. Um, And I hate that Americans remake them, um, you know, and kind of glossy them up a little bit. But, you know, uh, I wouldn't have known what the ring was unless it came to America. So there's that. Um, so uh, we're going to get into it because Roxana is working Halloween Horror Nights and has had a long night. And I'm going to go karaoke later today. So we're going to get right into this one. Probably have you start. Yeah, yeah. Because mine's short and mine takes place in... 2011 so sooner I don't know when yours is an ancient thing right yeah I I mean the (laughs) the forest was created like 800 and something years ago so okay yeah that's older yeah yeah. (laughs) okay so okay I'm gonna keep mispronouncing the name I will be talking about Aokigahara, let me do that again for you, Pat. Aokigahara Forest. Uh, It is a forest in Japan. It is located on the northwest side of Mount Fuji. And it was created when Mount Fuji uh, erupted about a thousand years ago and just created all this thick lava flow. Mm -hmm. And over about 200 and something years, this very thick, luscious forest uh, grew up uh, along that side of the mountains like super thick so the name of the forest is uh blue tree meadow but people call it jukai which is sea of trees and that's because if you're hiking up mount fuji and you're looking over it it just looks like it's just a giant sea of green and it stays green all year round and the trees are, are just really close together uh, they say if you're going to go walking into the forest, stay to the trails, because if you go off the trails, you can easily get turned around and lost. And then because it is on that volcanic area, uh, there's a lot of iron deposits in there. So, you know, compasses tend to not work properly. There's also a whole bunch of volcanic tubes. Uh, so there's caves and stuff in there as well. And this is going to kind of play a part later on in the story, just the geology of this location. Mm -hmm. So back in Japanese history, this forest uh, was kind of known as a place where you would dump people off that you couldn't feed anymore. So if there was like a famine happening or uh, you just didn't have the resources, that is where you let older family members, mostly older women or the blind or anybody that would just need to take extra resources to take care of that they did not have in like the family or the village. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something else uh, with Japanese culture is they believe that if your body is not given the proper rights after death, that you can't 
go into the afterlife and that you get stuck in the physical realm as a ghost or um, they're referred to in the forest as yuri that you're and they're not pleasant spirits like they want to trick people so they're kind of known as dangerous ghosts uh, then we're going to fast forward to about 1961 there was a book i'm not even going to attempt to say it in japanese but the english uh, uh the english title is tower of waves and in that book there's uh, some lovers they're not able to be together so they head to this forest and they end up ending their lives so that they can you know be together for eternity in the afterlife this kind of began starting a, a, a trend uh, where people would then go to this location uh, and end their lives and that's kind of been happening since the 1960s. So to the point where if you go to this forest, there's signs at the very front and along the pathway that are basically saying, you know, your life is a gift from your parents. Think about your parents and your siblings and your children before you do this. Like if, talk about your tries trying to get people to not um end their lives in this forest. And of course, at the end, there is a number that they can call, kind of like our equivalent of the National Suicide Hotline. Uh, so when people go into this forest, they're not always 100%, yes, I'm gonna go ahead and make this decision. Uh, sometimes they're, they're thinking about it. So they'll bring a tent and provisions and because you can get lost so easily, they'll usually tie a piece of rope or like a plastic, uh, you know, like those police crossing, like don't cross the police line, that kind of stuff. Like the okay. tape. Yeah, the tape. So they'll have like that kind of tape. Uh, not that it says the police anything, but they'll tie it along the way so that when they're out in the woods and they're contemplating whether or not they want to end their lives, they decide that, no, I'm, I'm going to stay alive. They can find their way back. Uh, or if they decide to make the other decision, authorities will be able to locate their remains. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's pretty sad the, the amount of people that will go into the forest to do that. It's approximately about 100 people a year that will do that. Uh, they've stopped releasing the numbers uh, so that it, they're not encouraging uh, other folks to be doing the same because they really, you know, that's really sad and they don't want that to happen. Now, it's not locals that are actually going into this forest to do it because many of the locals, when they were very young, were told, do not go near this forest. It's, uh, you can get lost easily. There's Maleficent, Maleficent, Melissa. There's bad spirits. <laughs> malevolent. Malevolent, that's it. Uh, malevolent spirits. Uh, and that the Yuri are kind of known. Yuri? Yeah, uh, they're kind of known to trick you into ending your life. Um, and there's actually a whole horror film that came out that's about that same situation. It's called The Forest. And in that movie, 
Uh, you've got a pair of twins. One of the twins has always kind of shown a little bit of mental instability. She is living in Japan, working as, a, I believe, an English teacher. She ends up going to this forest and been missing. And so her sister flies to Japan to go to the forest to look for her because she's saying, no, I, I feel it that she's not, she hasn't died or anything so then the movie is her in this forest and the longer she's staying there the more things begin to mess with her mind mm -hmm. uh, things aren't quite what they seem uh to the audience as well mm -hmm. and that's kind of demonstrating the the myth that it's the yuri that are coming to these people and they're kind of tricking them into ending their lives so you know they can you know misery loves company and it is said that these spirits will usually hang out in the spot where their their lives ended. And that's another dangerous thing about the forest is you can just be walking along for a hike and you might just pass through this area where the, the spirit is and then it might, you know, come after you. Uh, it, now, there is wildlife that lives in this forest. You got, you know, squirrels, bears, all of your usual thing. But people say when you go into at least this suicide forest, as it is known, um, you, you're not hearing a lot of wildlife. You don't really hear too many of the birds singing and calling yeah. to each other. You're not really seeing any squirrels running around. It's not like going to a forest and experiencing nature. It's just pretty much trees, uh, thickly uh packed together trees, lots of moss. It's super green. It's gorgeous, but there's also something super eerie about being in that forest. You can easily tell how you can get lost. Um, they say when you're walking in the forest, one of the reasons why people get lost is because they're looking at their footing. But if you're looking at your footing, that's how you can maybe go off trail or not end up realizing where your location was or where you're going. So always be looking up and straight ahead and there is no camping allowed like you're not supposed to be able to go out there and camp but of course the people that are contemplating ending their lives if they're not super sure then they're going to be bringing tent and provisions with them and then there are people that will go around uh to see if anybody any bodies so that they can call authorities or maybe just help other people uh, decide to make another decision and so they kind of get familiar with the the habits and basically saying if you're seeing a lot of objects or notes or signs that are left by a person like they even uh, showed a picture of a, a suicide note that most likely they weren't sure about ending their lives that they were probably going back and forth and a lot of times people will just go out there contemplate it and then go back home so he was saying that from just based on his experience all those items that were left that was the prob person probably went back and actually did not end up ending their lives so that's kind of a a good thing because he was saying if you are gung-ho about ending your life you pretty much are just going to go into the forest and kill yourself. And there's two very common ways that it's being done in this particular area is hanging or overdose on like prescription pills or something like that. That's what they're usually coming in to find. Uh, 
but it is a super haunted place probably because of the fact that you have all of these spirits that are have had such tragic endings and are, are surrounding that area so there'll be people that will be walking through that forest and they will see that they'll see figures that are on the, the trail or right off the trail or standing by a tree and they go and they look back and they don't see them anymore like people sitting down uh just or ghostly looking figures out out in the woods in the trees or hear something like a whistling or, or something they hear uh and again not really any birds and it'd be at night uh, so there's a been a lot of sightings uh in that particular area i mean it would be fun to do ghost hunting but also terrifying because of the oh, yeah. real, the real tragedy that's how you don't yeah. really want to stop and that's that's something that's unpleasant is that for the most part if you find one of those strings and there's usually there can be a lot of them and you follow it you don't know what you're going to find on the other side you might find an abandoned campsite which happens or you might find uh the body of somebody who decided to end their lives and so that's why i would not want to go ghost hunting because i don't want to run into a real body yeah. like that and yeah. then it, it's just it, it's a tragedy so for our listeners if you're ever feeling that way it's reach out reach out to your loved ones or if you have no one you can use the the hotline but i i know for some people they don't they would much rather reach out to a loved one that kind of yeah. thing so uh there have been theories aside from the ghosts the evil ghosts that are trying to lure people to their own demise of why that area is the way it is and that it might have to do with the magnetic fields in the the rock and that they are releasing a a, a field that's like a, a certain vibration that can kind of mess with the human mind and that they theorize that if you are in a dark place and you are contemplating it by spending time in this forest around that certain vibration it can actually influence you to feel more depressed that it can actually trigger a depression that ends up leading to to suicide or to ending your life and that might be one of the reasons why um so many people go out there to do that it's you they come for the fact that there's the legend um that that is a place where that kind of does happen but not knowing that just by spending time there they can actually be making themselves worse it can uh, it can really be affecting their own depression as opposed to if they went to like a beach and enjoyed meditating there but so uh, that's another reason why that forest is a bit dangerous as well so that is the 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 haunted forest and another thing too is people can disappear really easily uh, there's been reports of people like hikers going in and they can get disoriented they could fall down into one of those lava tubes uh, they might get badly affected by maybe the supposed magnetic fields and so it's 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 dangerous not just because of the ghosts um but just because of the terrain and the the location and everything so uh you know if you ever want to visit japan i i wouldn't mind going to the forest but just you know just at the front 
when it's daylight and enjoying the yeah, on the outskirts at the outskirts because it's a gorgeous it is a creepy gorgeous um forest it kind of reminds me of uh Mirkwood in Lord of the Rings where the Ent where have you did, did you watch Lord of the Rings I did but I do not remember it at all I watched oh. it, like when it came out okay well to me it looked like Mirkwood which is uh the place where the Ent was just kind of this dark creepy forest where all the trees are just really packed together because it's and it's super green because it's you know volcanic um volcanic soil which has all of these nutrients in it as well mm. so that is the story of the haunted forest in japan mm. um now's a good time to take a break but thank you for the story i also want to mention that the suicide hotline number here in america is 988 just dial 988 it is like 24 hours uh if you you know are contemplating that and it is always better to talk even if you know even if you may not you might you know not feel serious it is better to talk than not to talk so don't go to the forest don't go if you're feeling down or low or anything or you think yeah. that just just stay away from it. Go to a nice, happy forest where you'll get the the good vibes and not be in public. Yes, exactly. So I've seen photos of that forest and it is very creepy. I feel like it has just like a dark, depressive aura around it. And it's yeah. just heavy, you know, would be the word. Yeah, you're right. It is heavy. It's thick. It's heavy. It's it's not like you think of a forest in a Disney film where the squirrels are helping you make a dress. And it's oddly quiet, you know, and and I don't know, like, even without knowing what it's about, like, I've seen videos and photos of it and it's just, there's there's definitely a vibe there. Um, but yeah, so my story today, I'm going to talk about the, tsunami that happened in March of 2011 in the Tohoku region of Japan and the odd occurrences that followed. Uh, first off, I want to say I got my information mostly from an Unsolved Mysteries episode from their volume two called um, Tsunami ghosts, uh, references, and to a book, Ghosts of the Tsunami by Richard Lloyd Perry, and Wikipedia as well, and a few other interviews that I will reference uh, these people as I go through my uh, story here. So to give you a little idea, Roxana kind of mentioned a little bit of this, but to give you a little idea of what people believe spiritually in Japan, uh, the two major religions are Shinto and Buddhist. Both religions coexist in harmony in Japan and both have aspects in common, such as the importance of living beings' souls. Uh, that is why when people die, uh, they 
when people die, they are still very much important. Uh, they honor the dead. Uh, with the Shinto religion, there is a belief that each person harbors a kami, divine spirit that is bound and weakened inside the human body. And when dying, the spirit regains its power and comes out of the deceased. However, before resting in peace, there is a long and arduous journey ahead. Death is a crucial transition, transitional moment similar to birth. In a way, the person who dies and their family uh, who dies, their family have to follow rituals to not fail in this mission. So you mentioned that the burial or the rites after the death is very important in order for the soul to make it to where they need to go. So uh, the belief says that you have to die in peace and leave the earthly world in the purest possible way. Um, this is very similar to how Catholics believe you have to confess at the end of your life. Uh, you need to be leaving all grudges, all complications behind um, when you die. Uh, they can't leave anything to resolve, no grudge, not even in the slightest doubt. A simple negative thought before dying could cause problems for your journey into the afterlife. So on March 11th of 2011, uh, earthquake hit the Tohoku region of Japan on the Ashika Peninsula, the Ashika Peninsula. I'm so sorry if I butchered these names. I'm really trying hard actually this time. Uh, it was a magnitude of 9.0, an undersea megathrust earthquake had an epicenter in the Pacific Ocean, 70, 72 kilometers or 45 miles east of the Ashika Peninsula. Lasted approximately six minutes, causing a tsunami. That's a long time. Yeah, causing a tsunami. It was the most powerful earthquake ever recorded in Japan, the fourth most powerful earthquake in the world since modern record keeping uh, began in 1900. Uh, the waves may have reached a height up to 4.5, 40, sorry, 40.5 meters. Ooh, shit. Uh, the residents of Sendai had only eight minutes, uh, eight to 10 minutes of warning and more than a hundred evacuation sites were actually washed away. Snowfall accompanied the tsunami and freezing temperatures hindered rescue work greatly and the freezing temperatures hindered rescue workers greatly. Ishinomaki, uh, the city, uh, had the most deaths. In total, though, in total deaths, there was 15,854 to date, or as, as of the airing of the Unsolved Mysteries episode, which was last year, 2,533 people are still missing. So in uh, Ishinomaki, which is where most of my stories are going to take place, uh, and it, it is inside the region of Tohoku, which was hit greatly by the tsunami. It is a rural, rural area. Many people hold on to spiritual traditions 
And most people in this area did not and do not seek grief counseling. Uh, they know it would make them feel better, but they also are afraid that it will make them forget the dead and they want to remember. Okay. Uh, Japan's spiritual, spirituality does not separate the dead from the living. Like the shoji, which is the sliding door. So if you've ever seen like Japanese houses, they have these thin paper sliding doors. They believe that the border or the veil between our world and the afterlife is like the shoji shoji okay uh, it is thin paper you can open it to pass to the other world but the living can still see inside okay in japan is also tradition to cremate bodies and after the tsunami there was no power the crematory did not work and they were forced to bury their loved ones in the ground later to be dug up and cremated so keep all of that in mind when I talk about these things that happened. Um, so I'm just gonna read several accounts from people. Some of these I have names, some of them I do not have names of these people. And uh, I'll start out with some of the accounts of the actual tsunami. Uh, this person goes on to say, my ceiling caved in. All the lights started to break. That moment I felt, I felt I was in serious danger. The impact hit me. The impact pushed me outside. I couldn't tell what was up or down. I thought I was going to die. I saw the face of my wife and children. I tried my best to swim up for air. Eventually, I reached the surface. I floated away weightless. I wondered where I was going as I was carried away. Another quote says, the morning after the tsunami, I found out 54 of my coworkers had died. I felt like I was in hell. I never wanted to experience that ever again. Another quote says, I found my eldest daughter in the bamboo forest. Uh, some of the bamboo uh, were bent and I saw my eldest daughter draped over them. She looked like she was sleeping. She looked so beautiful. There wasn't a single cut on her face. The body of my wife was three minute drive away from, from here uh, when it was found. A week or two after the earthquake, we were cleaning up the debris and I was looking for my youngest daughter. And then I heard someone shout, I have found a baby. The oh. baby's face was swollen and covered in mud. So I cleaned her face and recognized that it was my youngest daughter. Oh. So that is just a snippet of the trauma that these people collectively, collectively uh, endured. And so processing this, there were a lot of weird things that started to happen and strange occurrences. So in June of 2011, Shuji Onuku, a journalist and writer of, a, of the book, Stay Near Me, uh, went to uh, the Tohoku region and he started to interview people. Uh, he stayed there till August of 2013, interviewing people. And he says, I started hearing rumors of ghosts. By October, there were dozens of them. So he started documenting people's experience who had uh, people, he started documenting 
people who had uh, supernatural experiences. One day, a man named Endo reached out to me. He had experienced something supernatural. On the day of the earthquake, he visited a shelter to see if his mother was there. He was told to wait there for her, so he waited. While he was waiting, he saw an older woman looking out the window and wearing his mother's clothes. As, she, as he looked closer, he realized it was his mother. He took out his camera to take a photo of his mother so his family would know she was safe. But the woman's face changed into some, someone he had never seen before. He found out the microbus his mother was riding uh, riding in was washed away by the tsunami around the same time he took the photo at the shelter. Um, uh, he, so another woman, another woman who lived in uh, Ishinomaki lost her three-year-old son in the tsunami. One night while she was eating, her son's toy uh, goes off in the other room. Uh, when she mentions her son's name at dinner. The toy had a manual switch and could not go off on its own. Uh, before uh, that night, the mother was looking forward to dying. She had actually told her daughter who survived, uh, even though you might suffer when I die, at least I'll be happy in heaven. Uh, that toy was a reminder uh, that her son was watching her and gave her a new purpose again. So people start to get contacted by their loved ones. Uh, another story, uh, uh, one night, this woman, she was preparing a meal for her family. She hears a knock at her door and a person uh, is there at the door and this visitor is drenched in salt water from head to toe and asks for dry clothes. And she gives this person clothes and sends them on their way. Yeah, um, yeah, it's so crazy how how they just got into our, not pop culture, but they, it happens not so long ago that there's just so many people backing up these different stories. Because I'm mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I've heard this before as well. Yeah. 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 So a lot of people started to be visited by people who seem to be lost. Yeah. Um, and so that occurrence of someone, uh, there was another story that I had read where a woman's friend came to visit and they sat down and talked for a while in the living room. When they left, there was a puddle on the seat oh. that they had left behind. And there was like a stain, a saltwater stain. Yep. So uh, here's another account from Kansho. Azawa. Uh, she was a local woman and a spiritual person. Uh, she claims that she has been seeing spirits her whole life. And as a child, she would see spirits. And she said that she felt that these spirits wanted to go home, but they had no home. Her herself lived in an area where it is completely empty now there is nothing there and she's pointing out on the on the episode like this is where my home used to be but now it's not there there's nothing there yeah. so when these spirits are are looking to go home there is no home there yeah. so one night she's driving around 
and she's stopped by a group of men in her car. Uh, she gets the sensation that these men have been killed in the tsunami. Okay. And she said that they didn't seem to know that they were deceased, but they knew they were no longer in the living world. She's felt sorry, so she stopped her car and she asked them what happened. One of them said they wanted to go home, but they were lost. I had to tell them the truth because I didn't want them to suffer anymore. And I said, all of you passed away. So uh, there was another person also who did um, a study. So uh, Kiyoshi Kanabish, Kiyoshi Kanabish uh, is a PhD. He's the author of Post-Disaster Spirituality. He was actually teaching a class and he gave his students uh, an assignment that said, you can research anything that you want um, that has to do with psychology. And uh, one of the students named Miss Kudo suggested the story of the ghost of uh, Ishinomaki. So he said that the most common and most believable stories were the ones that came from taxi drivers because there was actual physical record connected to their sightings. They would be picking up these people and the meter on the taxi would be going. And there was actual record of them driving these people who had nowhere to go. So he has the story. 165 days after the tsunami in August, uh, when Japan is very hot, a taxi driver picks up a man around 20 wearing a thick coat and he gets into the taxi. The driver felt that there was something strange about the passenger. By the time they arrived, the sun had already set. And when I looked into the back, the passenger was gone. There were several other taxi drivers with experiences like this. The meters would log the travel, giving evidence. And the drivers actually welcomed these ghosts. Um, they were happy to help these people get where they needed to go. And yeah. they were actually paying, paying the fares out of their own pocket. Um, because someone's got to pay the fare, but they were happy to do so. And you mean, because obviously the ghosts don't have money. So the taxi yeah. drivers were covering the costs. I see. Yeah. Um, but they weren't refusing the rides, even though they suspected these people were not living. I could see that as just being bad, bad juju to. Yes. Yeah. So, um, another person who was interviewed in this was uh, uh, Reverend Tayo Kanida. Um, uh, he is the, so I say Reverend, but he's actually a monk. So when I say Reverend, he's not a Christian. Oh, okay. he, they call him Reverend uh, Kanida, um, but he's actually a monk in the Sudai temple. He's the 26th generation. He grew up in the temple and, uh, he went to college before studying to be a monk. And he went on to say, everything I learned couldn't prepare me for what happened after the earthquake. I didn't know what, what to say to the survivors, but how could you really, mm -hmm. you know? So one night, this is his quote here. This is what he says. One night, my wife answered the door. A uh, young woman is here. She seems ill. I feel, uh, I feel many people inside of me 
and I can't stop them. Please help me, Reverend Kaneda. Uh, and he says, I never met anyone who suffered as much as she did. And he does say that he has met people who claim to be possessed before, but he had never met someone in this particular state. She said, many spirits are entering my body and I can't stop them. Uh, it's all the time. I really didn't understand what was going on with me. Oh, no. Then they interview her. That's the other thing. They find this woman and they actually interview her. And she says, all the time, I really didn't understand what was going on with me. It was painful. I feel the spirit of a little girl and a man holding onto her leg and he won't let go. Oh, my God. The thing is with this woman is that she didn't actually live in the area where the earthquake happened uh, or have anyone in the die in the tsunami so she wasn't even connected to it wow. uh she claims though that she has always seen spirits so i don't know what happened if she was in the area or something but somehow these spirits attached themselves to her yeah uh, she believes that they were the voices of the spirits who lost their lives in the tsunami uh coming for her uh one of them was a girl who had to let go of her brother's hand. The girl said that she heard her brother saying, sis, I can't run anymore, but she wouldn't respond to him because they had to run from the water. I could see, I could see, hear, and smell everything, even the touch of her brother's hand. She saw her brother being washed away. So the reverend speaks to the little girl and his wife intervenes and she uh tries to comfort this girl who's possessed um and she says the little girl wanted to apologize for letting go of her brother and say i'm sorry mom and through the reverend and his wife's help they're able to convince this little girl to move on to the light okay now there was another incident that came through um Richard Lloyd Perry's book involving Reverend Kanata as well. And it was a man who he was in the area where the tsunami happened. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of struggles. And around the same time, his wife decided to uh, divorce him. Okay. So he was going through a lot. So uh, here's a quote from that book. And so his wife and mother described the events of the night before. After the round of needy phone calls, uh, he had jumped down on all fours and begun licking uh, the, the tatami uh, mats and futons and squirmed on them like a beast. How at first, they had nervously laughed at his tomfoolery, but then, then been silenced when he began snarling. You must die, you must die, everyone must die, everything must die and be lost. In front of the house was an unsowed field and uh, the man ran out into it and rolled over and over in the mud as if he was being tumbled by a wave shouting, there, over there, they're all over there, look. Then he had stood up and walked out uh, to the field calling, I'm coming to you. I'm coming over to that side before his wife physically wrestled him back into the house. 
The writhing and bellowing went on all night until around five in the morning when he cried out, there's something on top of me and collapsed and fell asleep. So this went on for three nights. The next evening, the next evening as darkness fell, he saw figures walking past the house, parents and children, a group of young friends, a grandfather and a child. And this also, this story was very common that people would look out into the vast fields where the tsunami was and they would see shadows of people walking by. Um, oh, like walking home? Yeah. Okay. Um, but where there's nothing. And okay. um, they were covered in mud, he said. Uh, there were more, no more than 20 feet away and they stared at me. But I wasn't afraid. I just thought, why are they in those muddy things? Why don't they change their clothes? Perhaps their wash, perhaps their washing machine's broken. They were like people I might have known once or seen somewhere. The scene was flickering like a film, but I felt perfectly normal, and I thought that they were just ordinary people. So after three days of pleading by his family, he went to see Reverend Kaneda uh, at the temple. Kaneda says his eyes were dull, like a person with depression after taking their medication. I knew at a glance that something was wrong. This man told me that he had walked along the beach in the devastated area eating ice cream. And the priest said, he even put up a sign in the car in, uh, in the windscreen saying disaster relief so no one would stop him. He went there flippantly without giving any thought at all. I, I told him, you fool, if you go to a place where many people have died, you must go with a feeling of respect. That's common sense. You have suffered a kind of punishment for what you did. Something got a hold of you. Perhaps the dead who cannot accept yet that they are dead. They have been trying to express their regret and say their resentment through you. Kaneda smiled as he remembered it. Uh, he said, he's so innocent and open. And there's no other reason they were able to possess him. Oh, I see. So that was just a few accounts of things that had happened immediately after this earthquake. However, there have been other earthquakes in Japan and none of these other um, events had this type or this amount of supernatural occurrences happening after the fact. So this is what made this particular region, you know, unique. And I found it just very interesting that nobody really had this sort of scared, other than the people who were claimed to be possessed, nobody seemed really scared of it. They just seemed more, they had a duty to help these people pass on. And it was a responsibility that they had as being someone who had survived to take care of those who did not. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, that's that's basically all I have on that. So yeah. it was a very fascinating episode yeah, of Unsolved Mysteries. Um, it's short and spooky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do thoroughly enjoy the new seasons of Unsolved Mysteries. I think they're getting into some really interesting things i've probably seen every episode of unsolved mystery with robert stack yeah uh, 
And I've seen every one of the newer ones to come out. I actually knew about some of the things that they talked about, Mm -hmm. um, some of the cases they talked about before they did. And I'm so glad that they were able to cover them and get more detail, more information out there. So um, once again, though, if you are going through something that is dark and tragic, uh, the um, suicide hotline is 988. Please talk to someone. Um, and, you know, just know that it's not, I mean, what, I don't know what type of advice I could give someone uh, who is going through something traumatic other than it does get better. And I think it was very interesting that there is this idea in, in Japanese culture that life is a gift from your parents to you and it is to be respected and treasured. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's uh, my spooky, dark and sad story of um, the Japanese earthquake. Email us at hollywoodshaunted at gmail.com. This has been my weird little podcast. And uh, yeah, stay spooky. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Woo.